The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And I'm Max. I've dreamt of you. I craved you. Oh, I've missed you. Waiting for this very podcast. Time to float. We are going to flow all over the place on this episode. Yeah, we'll all float on okay. Ugh. This is a pretty big episode for us Scream Kings, Nathaniel. First, before we get too crazy... We should probably say sorry to all of our listeners. Yeah, we're the worst. Well, we're not the worst. We've just had life and pneumonia and mono and a new job. And it's been kind of a nutso August for us. Yeah, that's fair. You know, as 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 reference, you know, so I, I am now officially an English teacher, creative writing teacher, history yearbook. I've had a lot on my plate. <laughs> Basically everything. You are the school principal now. Oh, yeah. I, I went from nothing to ruling the school. <laughs> so we are very, very, very sorry to everyone because we our schedule has kind of gotten a little squampus. But this is the best time of the year. Um, Halloween's just around the corner. And we're very excited for the last half of the year. And I think the theme of this episode, and if you haven't figured it out by now, then you dumb... Um, is it chapter two, which is a really fun way to come back. Yes, I am so thrilled because one, as you'll quickly learn, I generally really like this movie. And two, this is really big because this is basically the sequel to our very first episode. If you'll remember, we talked the first it movie for our very, very uh, pilot episode. And that means that this is actually falling on our two-year mark, which is also just bonkers. Which, it, it's crazy to me that we've come full circle. You know, you and I had talked about doing a blog at one point about mm-hmm. horror movies. Um, and then you had the brilliant idea of, hey, why don't we just do a podcast? And it was like, well, yeah, duh, that's so much better than a blog. Who blogs anymore? Yeah. Uh, that's so 2010. Or 2003, let's be real. <laughs> that too. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I've definitely loved the time that we spent doing this podcast. I'm kind of sad that we didn't make this our 28th episode. That would be 27 episodes after the, the original one. I think if we had thought of that, we might have found a way to finagle that. But, you know, we didn't. So we let's just, just pretend. Have, we could just have two 27 episodes. <laughs> yeah. We won't tell anybody. It'll just be confusingly numbered. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, so I think we should really just dive into a few things for It Chapter 2. But before, sorry, I'm all over the place. I'm excited. 
Thank you, everybody, for sticking around with us. We've gotten some notoriety, which is really fun. We're kind of the premier horror podcast in the state of Utah, um, according to my research, which is even cooler. We're, we've got a lot of traction. We've had some ups. We've had some downs. We've had some really awesome episodes. We've had some less awesome episodes. Thanks for sticking around and listening to us. We really do appreciate that people out there take time out of their 24 hours they're given and dedicate some of that to listen to me and my best friend talk about horror it's it's amazing yeah it, we 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 feel you're right in the in the ghiblies in the ghiblies <laughs> how do we come back from the word ghiblies we don't i guess it's over it's all over now we ended um, on a high note the word ghiblies um ghiblies into it chapter two there's so much hype about this movie it's ridiculous so much hype well i mean it makes sense it was projected to basically be the oh i mean it's it's the sequel to the uh most commercially successful horror movie of all time and yeah so it's made i mean it was projected to make all the money like you know horror generally does really well in the box office but the it movies just some you know it's a kind of a whole nother echelon it's it's the you know avengers end game of horror and yeah like you you can see why you know it has has the big budget it has the, all of the stars it really has a lot of that momentum you know the big names you know it is one of the most iconic horror novels of all time stephen king's you know by far the the biggest writer living today you know regardless of any genre and yeah the the hype train was was very real and i feel like at least for me personally it really lived up to it in a lot of ways a lot of critics seem to disagree with me but they're wrong um another certain co-host of yours also agrees with the critics so it's fine we'll get to that okay uh, um but but Serious note here, the hype, I think, was very well deserved. The trailers that we were given for it were stunning and beautiful. Especially um, that first trailer with the yeah. Bev in her old apartment. Yeah, which is really one of the most iconic scenes of the movie, and we'll get to that. But Pennywise is so ingrained in not only our generation, but I think the generation that came before us with the Tim Curry rendition. Um, and so he's very much Pennywise in the zeitgeist of culture today. Mm-hmm. And you have queer jokes about Pennywise and the Babadook. And he started this whole like weird spooky clown on the sidewalk with no intention kind of a thing. Like there's a lot of our culture that we have to give credit to Stephen King in this creation. So really the hype was lived quite well and i think the movie delivered in some regards so why are we so scared of clowns all right so this is my mythos my urban legend my psychology degree, my occult corner we haven't done my occult corner in a while or your literary corner and we apologize because this got me a little mo- too excited um i wanted to know kind of why we are afraid of ghosts or not ghosts Ugh why we're afraid of clowns and so i did some research and i found that the actual phobia and i want to point out to our listeners that phobia is a very very specific term used by the dsm to describe a crippling fear a fear that is so intense it starts to like affect you on a daily basis it gets involved with your work or whatever 
Yeah, like you can't function if you come across something. Exactly, exactly. So a phobia of clowns is actually called chlorophobia, cholerophobia. Not quite sure how that's pronounced, Mr. Englishman. Probably cholerophobia. Um, And really, the research that I did behind this is quite fascinating you know a lot of the phobias that we have out there are rooted in evolutionary systems you know the fear of heights is because our primal brain understands that falling off of something high can kill you so that's where that fear factor kind of comes into effect same with like fear of bugs fear of spiders fear of snakes all of these animals that clearly are less sophisticated than humans and logically we probably shouldn't be afraid of them but this primal brain of ours says danger danger these animals are either venomous or poisonous and can kill us so watch out clowns it's a little bit different and freud is really the big player when it comes to fear of clowns which was interesting in itself we all have different opinions about good old freud but he started good things but he was a nut (laughs) he went crazy he had a little too much uh narcotics if you ask me or just too much attraction to his mother i mean there's that too but you know another day another podcast his research really dives into that a fear of clowns is not really rooted in what a clown is but what is behind the clown clowns were meant to entertain to make us laugh to kind of allow us to forget about negative things that happen in life but unfortunately there's a lot of horrible stories about clowns and being killers and murderers and doing all sorts of unmentionable things since they first started coming around and so freud pushes the idea that clowns are a physical representation of a fear of the unknown. It's very similar to someone who might be afraid of deep waters. They're not necessarily afraid of water, they're afraid of the unknown that lurks beneath that water. So overall, we're afraid of clowns not because they're painted creepy faces, we're afraid of them because they look happy and they appear to be something very joyful, and they can turn on us in an instant. Um, phobias. We should do a whole episode on phobias. They're wild. Yeah, or at least just kind of sprinkle them in as, as relevant, because I think a rich vein that we can mine. I don't think there's any phobia of goats, though, because goats terrify me to no end. I am confident I can find it. <laughs> Another podcast. Let's get into the book of this episode, this movie. It Chapter 2, Dear Old Pennywise. By the way, it's caprophobia. Oh, of course. Of course. We're not Took me three it. seconds to find it. <laughs> you caprophobic. Well, Pennywise would turn into a giant goat for me, unfortunately, and I would wet myself. So, there's Black Phillip. That's where my phobia comes from, I believe. No, it was way before you watched that movie. I mean, that's when it was cemented. What's that like to live deliciously? And the idea that Satan is possessing this giant black billy goat cements things very heavily. But the three evil nipping goats of my ex-wife also helped. (laughs) Oh, it was even before that. I remember in high school. But that is not the point. It Chapter 2. So, what did you love about It Chapter 2? First and foremost, the acting was incredible, Nathaniel. Um, Not only from the children, but also the adults. I mean, Bill Hader. Woof. Yep. Woof. I mean, he's not going to win an Academy Award because horror doesn't win academies. 
but he was phenomenal and Jessica Ch- Chastain was phenomenal and I don't know they were phen- uh, it was incredible and not only their acting but whoever casted this movie uh, I want should get an Oscar them. yeah no kidding um the adult actors were almost they almost looked like relatives of the children actors which blew my mind yeah can we talk about how good of a fit James Ransone was for Eddie it was uncanny. Yeah. Um, he looked the part. He played the part perfectly. Like that transition scene where it went from, you know, Eddie as a child to Eddie as an adult. Uh, that was so freaking good. Oh, it was. And even, was it Ben? I'm sorry. my mm-hmm. The faces between fat little Ben and adult big Ben were so similar for some times during the movie, and I've seen it twice now. I thought maybe the child had grown up and had become this adult actor. It's amazing. It's yeah. so amazing. Yeah, they... Oh, man. Like, the only one that I didn't absolutely love their performance was honestly James McAvoy, which was uh, kind of surprising, because I think James McAvoy has some really good acting chops, but it felt occasionally like when he was kind of going into the the fearful stuttering, it felt a little bit more like he was playing his uh, little boy character from Split. I than... agree. I agree. I definitely think he was the weakest out of all of them. And the stuttering was when I really started to notice it. It felt a little contrived, a little forced, not really authentic um but but even then like it it wasn't that he did like a terrible job it was just in comparison to the amazing glowing performances of everyone else it was just not quite as strong totally agree and i think i mean we got to give credit where credit is due and that's bill skarsgård again i mean i think his performance rivals heath ledger as the joker i don't Mm -hmm. know how he got into the place he got but i don't ever want to be there uh, to play Pennywise as well as Bill does, it's mind-blowing and terrifying. It would be difficult, I think, to be his friend when he was filming because he had to have been in this weird, creepy, twisted place to really tap into some of the uh, faces he would make and the voice and the like slow but controlled drool that was constantly coming out of his mouth. Like... It's amazing what that man can do. Why is he not in more things? I don't know. He's, he's starting to get into more stuff. I mean, I, I've i enjoyed his performances and anything else I've seen him in. Like, he was, for example, really good in Castle Rock. Agreed. Um, and, which, you know, more more Stephen King goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I love his work. I've read a lot of reviews talking about, like, how much he he enjoyed working on it chapter two, which it like kind of brings me some happiness just as a fan that he like got to have a little bit more fun and, you know, interact with other adults because, you know, they kind of kept him isolated from the kids a lot just because, you know, they wanted the, the genuine fear from the children. Um, but I love that he did stuff to like freak out Bill Hader and stuff on set, like just for fun. <laughs> he was like, yeah. Cause I, I was reading a thing that I guess Bill Hader was like, Oh man, like, so what like do they just do the the eye stuff and post and then he just like grins at him and does the eye thing because that's something he can actually do and then he just like jump back and say like, nope 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 <laughs> i didn't know that that's fascinating to me yeah so i thought that was a lot of fun so yeah i mean he did a, another tremendous job and and some of the the nastiness 
Oh my gosh. That we get to see uh, from from him as Pennywise this time around was really upsetting and visceral, which was great. Hold off on that, because we have a whole section to talk about the scares of the movie. Okay. Um, so overall, It Chapter 2 is an incredibly solid horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's long. It's almost three hours long, so definitely keep that in mind as you see it. Um, and we can kind of get to that how, in some regards, you could see that as a pro and a con. Yeah. Um, but Nathaniel, you're an avid reader of everything Stephen King. You know the old movie Inside and Out. We've done this whole loop around. Give us some insight about how It Chapter 2 was better, I guess, than the book and then the original as far as plot goes, the roles of the characters. You have a lot of insight here that I think we can pull out. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, So... You know, I especially in in the last or last time we talked about it, you know, I I brought up the point that you know it that that the movie thankfully took away one of the most problematic scenes in the book, specifically the child orgy, which is what made them link together as opposed to them holding hands and making the oath. Um, so this time around, we have some other stuff that has changed, um, and I feel like all of it really does a lot for the book so or a lot to the story that the book didn't nail down as as well Uh, so one thing that they did is that they really yeah kind of shifted some of the roles of the characters so in the book bill is still the the fearless leader no matter what and and i didn't like that because you know he was one of the ones who left he was one of the ones who still you know had a lot of of you know, reason to not necessarily be as invested. And so I like that they kind of shifted that leadership role to Mike this time around. I thought that was a smart choice. You know, he's plugged in. His stakes are much higher in this whole thing, I I felt. And so I really like that, you know, he did all this research. He spent all of this time figuring all of this out. He gathered them together. It makes sense that he would continue to be the leader when they gather together. Because as an adult, he was the one who was there. He knows all of the information that they don't know. He remembers everything that they don't remember. And so, yeah, like, of course he's the leader. So I thought that was a big, smart change. I also like that uh, they, they kind of cut some of the chaff that I uh, that from the book. Like, for example, in the book, there is a sex scene between uh, Bill and Beverly. And I didn't like that uh, because, one, uh, it's trying to sell us on this idea that Bill is, you know, committed to his wife and and also like you know yeah we saw the chemistry between them as children but it didn't quite ever flesh out in an interesting way necessarily as adults it was just like oh hey they just randomly had sex during the middle of it but you know but you're still kind of cheering for ben over bill you know for for who gets to be with beverly because you know he's the one who actually did the the wooing and and you know really showed specific concern for her and stuff like that so you know, I, I, I'm glad that they eliminated that. You know, like, yeah, there was a kiss. I think that was fine. Um, but yeah, they, they took out, you know, kind of the intensity of that relationship. And then it just kind of like felt, at least to me in the book, it, it felt kind of unbalanced when, you know, Beverly and Ben have have a moment too, because it's like, well, yeah, but she like slept with Bill and they just kind of like, oh, maybe we should see if we have something between us. And so it just, I don't know, it was it was different. 
Um, also, a big part of the book is that to kind of keep everyone there uh, and kind of heighten the stakes for everyone, Audra, uh, who is Bill's wife, actually comes to Derry to figure out what her husband's doing there, all that stuff, and then Pennywise takes her. And then um, he also, you know, once they defeat Pennywise, she's still catatonic because she got a big blast of the deadlights. And so in order to kind of revive her, Bill has to, like, put her on the back of his bike, and he rides the bike, and he's like, oh, it's magical still, and he, you know, yells a hi-ho silver thing, and that's what, like, awakens her again. And it's this, like, joyous moment. But again, I didn't really buy that joyous moment and all of that time he invested because he was so quick to drop everything for Bev. I don't know. Yeah, it just, it didn't work for me in the in the book. It was cheesy. It just, it felt out of place. I think there's, I did a little research and I know that Audra comes back, but also Bev's, like, husband tries to come back and kill her. I think the characters are so developed and so fleshed out and there's so much plot with them already. It's unnecessary to bring in these kind of random third party characters. So I'd agree with you. Yeah. They kind of just come in at the end. It just didn't feel like it fit. It was just kind of out of nowhere to like force them to, you know, really finish things. But like, I felt like, yeah, there was enough to these characters to, or uh, that would make them want to show down with, uh, Pennywise again that you know we don't we don't need another thing to, to make them do it so those were some of the biggest things that I specifically recall as being you know noticeably different um, and there was a, a few other things like uh, you know Richie wasn't gay in the book stuff like that but you know I actually thought that that, that edition ended up working out really well especially you know kind of in contrast with the you know killing of of someone who's gay at the beginning of the of the story. So what do you feel about the Stephen King cameo? I know you made mention that you know a lot of people are kind of I don't know upset is the right word but a little frustrated with the ending of the it novel and kind of how it plays out and there's a lot of humor poked about endings being terrible and not really working out. That I would say is is very true. So you know, so the Stephen King cameo, you know, he makes fun of Bill for not being good at writing endings in his horror novels, and you know, and and so, but but you know, what he's really doing is he's making fun of himself, and I I like that because one, it shows that he can have a sense of humor about his work, and two, it's kind of him acknowledging, hey, this is a better ending to this story, you know, I didn't stick the landing in the book, and this is a better approach. And, and I liked that because, you know, this is him, you know, nodding and saying, this is probably the best version of this story that's out there. And I agree. I, I think it's, it's better in this format. Now, I, I admit that there are some moments in the book that I liked that were better in terms of the scares. It is a little bit scarier in that it, it has more uh, things it transforms into. It's, it, you know, it feels like, I don't know, it, it's scarier and it's not always just Pennywise in different forms again and again and again. So I do like that about the book, but at the end of the day, if I have to choose any one version of it to be my favorite, it's definitely the films. And I think that's a good kind of bridge into our next section. Is let's talk about the scares of this movie because it's it's such an iconic film that the scares have to be like next level. The first rendition of this movie, It Chapter One, 
for lack of a better term, I guess, I thought had some incredibly brilliant scares. The scene in the basement with Bill and Pennywise like shaking out of the water to come try and get him terrified me. The film scene where they're in the garage and he comes out of the the movie, that was terrifying. So uh, good. It had a lot to live up to. And there are some really, really, really solid scares. And I think, the for me, two of the most unnerving ones were at the very beginning of the film where we see some very intense and very violent homophobia to the point where a few people in the LGBT community are a little upset that it's so intense, which honestly kind of shocked me. I feel like this is a fantastic medium to show some of those real life horrors that people in my community deal with and are very real in 2019 that this stuff is happening. Yeah, this isn't just something from the past. No, not at all. And I know this part was in the book, but this poor Adrian fella who's in a gay relationship ends up getting killed and eaten by Pennywise. And of course there's that supernatural murder aspect, but, but the bullying and the, the essential beating of this kid, this stuff really happens. And that set the tone for me for the rest of the movie. I was really excited that, you know, it chapter two was going to kind of veer away from some of these childish fears, you know, a leper werewolves blood and kind of move into a lot of the, deeper, darker fears that we experience as adults. Um, Mm -hmm. And homophobia being so explicit in the beginning really set the pace, I think. I agree. I feel like that is something that when the film did, like, really dug into these kind of, like, real-life adult fears, you know, the homophobia or dealing with the domestic and sexual abuse of of Beverly and, and Pennywise playing on that fear... Things like that, I thought, were really, really unnerving, upsetting, um, in a very real way. Because, yeah, like those those are some of the worst things that happen to people, but they're real. They happen every day. It's not just some monster chasing you around. This is a monster who is now adapting and showing you the things that you still fear as an adult. And so I liked that. And I think it's important to go over a few of those fears. Um, We have the homophobia, not only with the opening, but also with the Richie, Eddie kind of narrative, which I also really, really loved. There's not a ton of LGBT representation in the horror community. Mm -hmm. So to see this in such a big budget film um, almost made me a little proud of just like, yeah, they can do it. They did it. Let's keep more of it around. It, Mm -hmm. It helped diversify, I think. For Bill, I think his was kind of twofold. I think his life really wasn't what he wanted it to be, which I think at any point in adulthood, we experience those same emotions. Um, But also, he lost his brother. None of the other kids had lost a sibling. And so he had this feeling of it was his fault. He was guilty for Georgie's death. And again, that is such a ubiquitous fear that all adults have, I think, that They've regretted something that they've done in their life, and it sticks with them for years. Yeah, and and I I liked that that was his fear, and I liked that they had you know this kind of mirroring of that with with the little boy that he tries to save. I feel like they could have turned that up just a little bit more, like given us a, a stronger emotional connection between him and that little boy. Because if we had a stronger reason to kind of feel that connection, then I feel like his kind of character arc uh, along that fear would have been stronger and would have been more interesting, especially when he fails again. 
Um, but it, that one felt the most forced to me. And, and I think that's a shame because I think, you know, especially as a parent, that kind of inadequacy protecting a child uh, is is very is is you know easily one of the, the scariest things to me personally and so i feel like that was a, a chance to maybe connect with the audience in a way that it, it kind of just didn't quite stick the landing on but i liked i liked the concept i just don't think it nailed the execution oh i totally agree um and that scene in the funhouse with the mirrors and the glass is unfortunately one of pennywise's more terrifying moments of this movie and we can get to that in a bit and it was very traumatizing and almost made you feel suffocated a little bit because bill was trying to save this kid and this this thick wall of glass separating him and it was very well executed but i agree with you is that there was some emotional connection that we were missing between bill and this kid yeah i saw what they were going for but it just didn't quite jive with me the regret of love for Ben and the Beverly story, I don't know if that's the correct term, uh, but he always felt like he was in love with Bev, but was never able to say it out loud or felt that she reciprocated those feelings. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably the most common fear in adults right now is, you know, the one who got away. What if? And yeah, so that kind that of like was... romantic and inadequacy. Yeah, and the in the final scenes where ben is almost dying he's getting buried alive and i thought that was very symbolic of this feeling of you know the the one who got away sometimes we obsess and we become compulsive over that to the point where it it kind of feels like it's burying us alive and then beverly oh poor beverly so not only was the homophobia scene incredibly upsetting to me but I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where domestic violence is shown on the level that they shown it or showed it, excuse me, in it chapter two. Like there was a husband punching his wife. And I, I don't know if I've seen that before. And that kind of like took my breath away, man. You need to watch the Hallmark channel more. I guess so. <laughs> um, it was intense. Um, it, it was an intense scene, but I would say that's not nearly as upsetting as the insinuated stuff with her dad. Like when he oh, no. sprayed the perfume. Oh, yeah. You read my mind because I was just about to say like that was upsetting. And then we have this almost innocuous scene where Bev's dad is talking about how she essentially killed her mom and how she looks like she'll never be like her mom. And then he sprays this perfume all around her and him and gives this weird, creepy hug. And you just wanted to punch him in the face so much. It yeah. was harrowing. Harrowing. Yeah, because you, you know that that is just one instance of, of, you know, what is basically overtly sexual abuse between, between you know, him and, and his daughter. And, and that's so it's so wrong on so many levels like that kind of thing is just unconscionable to me and so and and it should be to anyone and and so that kind of thing and then and then to see uh it was so upsetting to see it then take that and play with that and are you still a good girl and you're like oh yeah oh are you still daddy's good girl no no that is so wrong and ah yeah, that the the scene in which he is, yeah, you know, it's 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 a human Pennywise painting his face, 
and you know shouting at her and and you know and and you kind of see this insinuation that if he were a human he would be doing the same thing to his daughter or or something like that is ugh, it's it's wrong it's it's upsetting it makes you angry and it and it scares you because it's just so deeply morally socially just the, I mean, I mean, no matter how you slice it it's wrong and but they did it like in a way that was tasteful yeah no and they did it without any overtly sexual acts which was very much appreciative appreciated i can't talk today i think pazuzu's back inside me Uh-oh. moving aside from kind of the the superficial or not the superficial excuse me the profound horror of it chapter two the superficial scares i think were really problematic and we'll get into these a little bit more um the scariest scene for me was what you just kind of mentioned was bill skarsgård pretending to be this relative of this old lady that beverly met who happened to look like pennywise you know there's plot holes and stuff there i guess that you could play with um, I wouldn't say it's potholes, it's just one way that he's manipulating her again. That's valid. Very valid. Because he um, was the old lady, too. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, he's essentially painting on the Pennywise makeup, and he takes his fingers and puts them at the top of his forehead and just pulls down. And the face that Bill Skarsgård makes is horrifying. This, I think, will be an iconic scene in the horror kind of... Oof, community right. for years to come on par with reagan's puking pea soup and jason's mom coming out of the ocean or lake freddy krueger with his claws in the bathtub like this was that level of fear and horror it was brilliant and it was a practical effect oh mm-hmm. oh i can't breathe lord help me <laughs> <laughs> it was so good if you don't want to see this movie see it for that scene or youtube it or i don't know what you have to do to see it but it was beautiful yeah in in the most frightening and upsetting way conceivable yeah exactly our listeners will get it (laughs) yeah y'all get it y'all get us (laughs) y'all get it that's why Um, you're listening the last thing i kind of want to say before we move into some of the cons about the movie is I have seen the original with Tim Curry, and it's classic and iconic, but I do feel like the ending of in this rendition felt a little bit more cohesive to the story that they were telling. Um, That's because they didn't go with the Audra on the bike thing. That, and also the whole, like, turtle creator of worlds versus it, eater of worlds, kind of, like, random mythology thrown in our faces out of nowhere <laughs> hey that's dark tower stuff that's dark tower stuff no and i totally understand that it is like part of the stephen king universe it yeah. just came out of nowhere with it there was no like pathway to get there and I agree. so i th- i think by leaving that out in this remake it did the the universe a lot more of a a favor i agree i feel like the Dark Tower series is something that is magical in its own bizarre way, but I feel like there are certain Stephen King books that connect to the Dark Tower series, and, and I like seeing that connection from the Dark Tower side of things, but when I read them, I always kind of wondered, 
for everyone else who's picking up this book, like, I bet this part is really random and really weird <laughs> and really throws you out of the book. And so, like, unless you kind of understand this greater universe, those kinds of moments, yeah, they just, they aren't fair to the, the readers who this is their first Stephen King. And, and I think that's a shame because, like, you know, it does that. Um, one of my very, very favorite Stephen King books, Insomnia, also does that. It has a huge connection to the Dark Tower series. And, you know, I, I feel like on its own, it should, you know, on, on its own merits, it should be easily, you know, one of his mo- best books that everyone should read. But it's hard. It's, it's, it's harder for me to recommend it because I know that there's this big chunk of it that really unless you understand the dark tower series i think you're just gonna go i really like that book until that one random section and then i just kind of stop caring so let's move into some of the things we didn't really love about the movie and okay we have we have thoughts we have a lot of thoughts so capital I t thoughts I do want to set the precedent that I uh, really love this movie. I will buy it. I love the original. Um, it's not perfect in any which way. Yeah. And I saw it with my boyfriend a few days ago. And he kind of asked me before we saw it what I thought about it. And I, I kind of gave him my little spiel. And he said, you know, like, that's great. Unfortunately, you're such a horror connoisseur now that sometimes I can't really trust your opinions on things <laughs> um, because I'm such a commoner when it comes to horror movies. And I, I think that has a lot of merit for a movie like this. I think yeah. your average person who goes to see this is going to be terrified out of their pants. Um, but for horror connoisseurs such as you and myself, um, we kind of have that critic eye for it. And I think that's going to come through over the next couple of minutes yeah that's fair we we're our our standard for what is scary is different than a lot of people's agreed agreed and we'll get to that that's kind of my ending point i want to make mm-hmm. um but first again being you know a fangirl of stephen king i want to ask you as far as the plot goes do you think having all of the children forget the events that happened in Derry as they leave and move town, do you think that hurts or helps the narrative of the story as a whole? Because for me, it kind of made it a little bit weaker. It would have been fun to see this absolute terror and fear of the adults realizing that those 27 years were returning and then like struggling to get back to Derry and face those fears. Does that make sense? I guess I see your point, but I feel like a counterpoint here is the fact that in spite of remembering almost nothing, we have one of the Losers Club kill himself uh, instead of facing Pennywise again. And I agree with that. And I think I think he knew a little bit more than what Mike knew. I don't know. I, I kind of got, got that vibe throughout this movie that Stan... I don't know. He sensed something. Maybe he was more empathetic um, to the feelings. I'm not quite sure. I mean, admittedly, Stan went up against Pennywise one-on-one and got his butt kicked and, you know, had his arm broken when he was a child. And so, admittedly, he did have a more specifically traumatic experience that was probably part of the reason why he had a a stronger reaction. But, But, you know, we had to consider that, like, this is a dude who for the most part, has forgotten. 
And so making the, just that one little connection and just having one little spark of it in his brain was enough for him to kill himself. They kind of thought to... was powerful. Don't get me wrong. Like the suicide yeah, and... scene with Stan is deeply upsetting. Agreed. And so for me, I feel like it's not necessarily that them forgetting is bad or good, but to me, it it worked in that it showed how um how. I don't know, to me, it's it's almost symbolic, because really, if if you look at how adults approach childhood, or approach, you know, their interactions with children, so often, adults forget what it's like to be children, and so I feel like kind of the, that's, that's one of the big symbols of the book, is that, you know, we as adults sometimes have to face things that we dealt with as children and couldn't. And, and those are real life things. You know, those, you know, I'm talking about, you know, things like abuse or things like, um, you know, our, our childhood traumas that, that affect us as, an, as adults. And we have to face those, but we don't necessarily remember what it was like to really experience it. Um, and we can dig that up, you know, with therapy or things like that. But as a symbol, I think that's really powerful, you know, to, to look and say, we as adults forget how to be children and we forget what it's like to be children. We see children do something that we see them play. We see them be silly or stupid or whatever. And we go, what is wrong with them? And I see that all the time, especially now with my, my job as a high school teacher. Um, and, and I still feel very connected with my high school self in a lot of ways. And I, I feel like a lot of my interests and a lot of my personality still is, is very much kind of grounded in who I was as a high schooler. In a lot of ways, not obviously entirely, but I still remember what it was like. But I feel like a lot of the other teachers don't. And it's interesting to see how their reactions to the stupid crap that teenagers do is so different than mine because they don't remember. And so I think that is actually one of the, the most important parts of the book is that they do forget. It, it I, I, I agree that it does take away some of the, the scare factor at times, but... I think that in terms of symbolic uh, use, you need it there. And I, I think that's a really, really good point. And I don't know if I've thought about that before, but it definitely ties into the whole fear element, especially where you bring up, you know, trauma that happens in our childhood that we do forget. And then we're faced with something that unstabilizes us and all of those fears come back. And I think you see that in this movie and so that that makes a lot more sense and i feel much more comfortable with that narrative yeah and and i mean also if you look at specifically how these people are living their lives that trauma from their childhood is still affecting them even if they remember it or not you know bev is in a in an abusive relationship um eddie is is with a woman who is exactly like his mom uh, who is, you know, controlling his life and telling him what to do and, and you know, is, is babying him constantly. You know, we have these people who are still stuck in, in their childhoods, even though they don't realize it. And so I think that's that's fascinating that they don't make that connection because we don't often. We don't realize the things that shape us. Yeah, that, I'm going to be thinking about that for a few minutes. Um, that's great insight, Nathaniel. All right, well, now let's talk about the things we didn't like, now that ha. I've had that like philosophical, insightful moment. Yeah, now that I threw your other thing back in your face. 
<laughs> no, it wasn't a thing. I was seriously curious about it because I've had a few people tell me that they really like appreciated that, but then others who have said it made the second part a lot more confusing because they didn't know what was going on. And so to look at it with that kind of a view, I think really helps the plot make more of an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, but let's talk about what didn't wasn't great. Jump scares. Oh my goodness, there are so many. To the point where anytime I saw Pennywise, I assumed there was a jump scare coming. Mm-hmm. I, I think that really kind of boils down to this was made for a mainstream audience. And I feel like a lot of mainstream audiences don't, like, if, if they don't have jump scares thrown at them, they don't think a movie is scary. They don't realize that, like, they can be scared for more reasons than just jumping in their seat. I totally agree. And unfortunately, it works against this movie. I agree. I thought it Chapter 1 had a very healthy dose of a few jump scares, but also that creepy, unnerving... You know, we see Pennywise for the first time in the sewer, and he looks like just a creepy clown. But then the eyes go, and the drool, and and everything kind of builds on itself to the jump scare. Here, I just thought they were dropping jump scares left and right. The scene under the bleachers was creepy, but the whole time I was thinking, okay. When's the jump scare? With that in mind, I wanted less jump scare and more kind of the focus on the psychological scares with the darker more adult fears like the scene with bev and her dad like the scene with richie losing eddie a lot of those darker moments that they could have pushed a little bit harder on to make it really horrifying i agree and 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 i i really wanted it to be that it the creature would then do more to play on those fears because yeah we saw it with beverly especially but we didn't see it as much with the other characters and i wanted to see that turned up to 11 you know i wanted to feel like their fears are more mature now and so here is the more mature version of him scaring them and i think a real big issue with it chapter two fell to the trope of a horror sequel We know the monster, we know the demon, we know the ghost, we know the serial killer, we know whatever is coming, and so it's not as scary. We expect it. We anticipate those kind of jump scares. We anticipate the behavior. You know, the drool was a fun new twist in this movie. Yeah, he didn't have that many new tricks, and that was a shame. We mentioned a little bit earlier that the length can be kind of a pro and con. For us, we were ecstatic to have a three-hour horror movie. Like, that's a good evening for us. Yeah, and it, honestly, to me, it didn't feel like it was three hours. I, I I, was I was happy with the length relative to how much content I got. I think it's a double-edged sword, though, because when I went with my boyfriend and some two friends... Um, the first thing they said when I asked how they liked it was, well, it was way too long. That They kind of got bored with it after a little bit. Um, mm. So that that goes both ways, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I, I will say also, like, it, it kind of makes it so this movie isn't as rewatchable, especially if you want to do, like, a double feature. Because now you're dealing with a five-hour it marathon, and that's a lot of it. That's, that's two hours longer than the miniseries was. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about kind of the time frame? The first it was over a summer. Second it is over just a couple of days. How does that hurt the movie, in your opinion? 
I just feel like the stakes aren't the same because if you compress all of the the bad that's going to happen into just a couple of days, it doesn't feel like it's as pervasive of a threat. Does that make sense? Like, oh, absolutely. Because you know, I I liked the idea that Pennywise was hunting and he wasn't just hunting them. It made it seem like he was doing so much more. While you know, when the adults come in, like it feels like he just kind of drops everything and is like, okay, I'm going to deal with these people now. And it kind of makes his it turns into a revenge story. Yeah, it does, and and I don't like that because that's not really what what it is about. It is hungry and you know, like sure, it's angry, but it's it should be this thing that is so much bigger and, and views them as so little in spite of everything they've already done to it that it doesn't necessarily put all of its focus on them. So I like I like the idea of it taking place over a longer period of time. And I think that's a very, very good point. And I, I felt like that at the end of the movie, especially where we got that awesome little clause that we stated at the beginning of the podcast is it has been waiting 27 long years to kill these people and i I just wanted more ruthlessness out of pennywise yes and like that was a great moment but but yeah i do want to see just a, a level of just constant hunger and malevolence that yeah just wasn't quite there um so let's kind of bridge that in the end scene let's talk about spider slash crab slash scorpion slash leech pennywise that we saw in the end yeah i and and this was definitely a problem in the first movie too they they rely on the pennywise imagery too much i think you know it is not pennywise pennywise is a comfortable familiar form for it but I don't love the idea that like it always has to be Pennywise or be partially Pennywise. I like the idea that it can turn into a werewolf and it can turn into a leper and it can turn into whatever it wants and doesn't have to look like Pennywise the whole time. And so making this like end fight scene still be, you know, a Pennywise face talking and shouting and crying and doing all the facial expressions on a big spider body, it just didn't work for me. Um, I, I agree. I feel like there was maybe a little too much Pennywise in the second chapter. And the first chapter. Uh, true. And even in the Tim Curry version, yeah. Pennywise is scary. Don't get me wrong. The clown is very unsettling. But the scene in the first one with Beverly and the blood pouring out of the faucet, that's powerful. And that's it. You know, like, mm-hmm. give us more abstract fears. Um really lean into that and again it comes back to this revenge idea that the top half of the spider crab was pennywise it made me less afraid of it because i've seen pennywise for the last four years you know i i didn't care as much i mean like i get that pennywise is the iconic version of it and that's fine use that in all of the marketing whatever but I don't need it in that scene. I understand that it is not just Pennywise. And I feel like they knew that we were smart enough as an audience to get that with the leper or get that with some of the other scenes, but they seem to forget that when it comes to, you know, more monstrous forms. Also, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I didn't love the comedy throughout the entire movie. I enjoy comedy in horror movies. We've established this. However, I think you have to do it very well. And there were just some 
little comedic spurts and jabs and scenes that I didn't feel like they were realistic. If I was in a situation like that, you would not be cracking jokes. Yeah, and and like I get that, like especially with Richie, like that is his defense mechanism, cracking totally. jokes. Yeah, like he should be making jokes at radically inappropriate times. But yeah, there were a few moments that I was like, they tried to go with a, a little kind of like little gag here or there that I was just like, ah, uh, that's not like the best time. Like I don't want to laugh right now. I want to be upset or scared or whatever. And I think that's a very good point you just made is in the moment, what do I want to be? Do I need a little comedic relief or do we just need to move the plot forward? And the scene I'm talking about specifically is where Richie and Eddie enter the three doors and there's a scary, not at all scary or extremely scary or something of that type. And they open up the extremely scary and it's this little Pomeranian. And it's this weird like three minute scene where they're cracking jokes and being all cutesy with the Pomeranian. And I'm just thinking okay is this really what they would do if there's a giant spider crab outside the cave like it felt like a break from the action in a way that didn't make sense yeah exactly exactly so yeah i did not like that scene either in conclusion like we've mentioned i know we kind of have ranted a little bit about some of the weaker parts of the movie i think it's a very solid movie Mm -hmm. it's very hollywood And there, there's a level of horror there that's going to scare people, regardless of if you're a longtime horror fan or a newbie horror fan. And it did have a lot of quote-unquote scary scenes. Pennywise is very scary. Pennywise does set the stage for some really excellent horror. But uh, movies like our, our one true savior, Hereditary. <laughs> oh, 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 I think oh. it's a new record. We almost... Almost hit the hour mark without talking about hereditary. I was thinking, but we didn't. We didn't. We we tripped at the finish line there. I need to start drinking when we record, and every time we say hereditary, take a shot. Oh man, you will be so plastered by the end of some episodes, and by some I mean like ninety percent of our episodes. My point being, though, is movies like Hereditary and even its sister movie Midsummer are unsettling, horrific scary throughout even through the comedic scenes even through plot developments there's some level of unknown creepiness that you're not quite sure what's going on or it's pushing the boundaries making you uncomfortable kind of forcing you to squeeze your fists Hmm. and it chapter two in my opinion does not do that yeah i or at least it didn't do it nearly as much. I just want to ask, did you prefer chapter one or chapter two better? I liked one better. I just, I, I've always liked the story of the children more. I felt like it was more scary. Um, it was more interesting. Uh, I feel like the characters are, are more interesting people when they're children. But that said, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it, chapter two, considering that... Like, when I read the book, I really didn't like the adult stuff very much at all. Um, but I actually really did enjoy this take, and I felt like I understood the themes better this time around and, and all of that. And so, in spite of preferring the original, I would say, like, in terms of making uh, or adapting the, the material and actually improving upon it, I would say this was actually a step up higher than, than we had with the original film versus its content or original material 
I agree with you 100%. I think It Chapter 1 introduced us to a new Pennywise, introduced us to a new set of incredible children, and really delivered something that we hadn't seen before in the horror genre. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the It franchise suffers from sequelitis, is a new term I'm going to make. Um, where we've seen it all before, and if you don't deliver on that next level, people are going to lose some interest in it in some regard. So definitely prefer the first one. Yeah, same. Um, But I feel like they they work really well as a a, two-part story. Like, it's almost, like, unfair in a lot of ways to think of It Chapter 2 as a sequel, because it is. It's just, it's Chapter 2. Um, and so that's why I think they called it It Chapter 2 as opposed to It 2. Yeah. Be- because it's it's still the same story. It's just more of it. It's it's the complete part. And I wonder if one day we do need to just have like a five-hour energy drink and watch them back-to-back and see if our opinions change at all. It might be a fun experiment. Yeah, I would I would be down with that because I, I feel like it would be fascinating to see how well it, it works in that sort of context. Um, with that said, I still give it eight crowns. It's a very great movie. Acting is phenomenal. The scares are there. The plot is there. It has some fun comedic relief. Bill Hader wins the award for best actor in it. Um, great movie all around. I will buy this movie. I will own it. I have a Funko Pop Pennywise. Like, I love this. I love this story. Yeah, I give it an eight as well. It just it it worked for me in a way that I just didn't expect it to. You know, I I I I let myself get excited for the movie, but was, you know, kind of prepared to let my my previous, you know, general kind of meh feelings about the adult half of the story to ultimately win out, but I walked away from it going, "Man, I I really enjoyed that movie." So, yeah, an 8. How about Screams? Screams I gave it a 6. Um, I've seen a lot scarier movies out there, even non-hereditary midsummer movies. <laughs> um, it too many jump scares, too many predictable moments, and Pennywise just didn't deliver like it. It did. Do you see what I did there? Uh, I do. <laughs> We're back to the, the problem first... of of confusing pronouns. <laughs> Seriously, um, Pennywise didn't deliver. I think like it did in the first one yeah i i agree as well i i'm giving it another uh six as well um it relied a little bit too much on the jump scare but when it did go for the psychological you know mature scares it really did nail it so i'm i had fun and i and i was pretty spooked out in certain moments so yeah good movie good movie yes yes well, thank you, everybody, once again, for sticking with us from It Chapter 1 to It Chapter 2. Um, it's a big episode for us. We're kind of proud just to have made it this far. Sometimes I'll tell people I still do my podcast. And they're like, whoa, way to go. You, like, stuck with it. And I was like, hell yeah, I did. Yep. So speaking of staying with it, should we talk about how we're staying spooky this week? Yes. Want to go first? Sure. Well, you're on theme. Uh, yeah, um, so Stephen King dropped a new book today, The Institute, and I am just barely beginning it, but I am very excited to see where it's going. 
Uh, it seems like it kind of has a, a strong Firestarter vibe, if anyone's familiar with that Stephen King book. You know, like dealing with like telekinetic kids and, and stuff like that. But so far, I'm digging it. I, I expect good things because, I mean, I've stuck with Stephen King through like 65 books and I'm going to keep sticking with him. One day... I'm going to get you some sort of pass to go meet him in person, and I will finally take over first place between you and Taylor, and I will win. Ha! You, you, you will defeat, uh, defeat <laughs> Your us. Wife. Yeah, just, just defeat everyone in gift giving, because we'd make that a competition. Exactly. Um, for me, big fan of horror, all things horror. One that I've kind of like avoided weirdly enough has been true crime um it just didn't interest me as much as supernatural horror has that is until i had to go fly to tennessee and had a layover in georgia which was three hours long so i downloaded the mine hunter series that netflix has produced and holy cow um it's incredible it's amazing it's kind of uh more a psychological thriller i'd say than a horror uh the general premise is it's about the fbi agent who founded the behavioral science unit and so it's the story of how he has gone through all of these serial killers and goes to them in person and interviews them and starts to create the kind of the criminal profile of serial killers and it's got jonathan groff in it and he's a hunk so that's fun um but it's one of those shows that you watch four or five episodes in and you've kind of forgotten what time it is because you're so enthralled and you're so pulled in. I would definitely check it out. They're on their second season right now and they have Charles Manson as one of the serial killers they interview, which is interesting because he actually never killed anybody. Directly. That's, yeah, valid. Also, we are developing a website, which will be dropping hopefully within the next few months, ScreamKingsPod.com. You can go there. There's not a lot there. It's more or less a blueprint for what's to come. But we have big plans forthcoming, so stay tuned and stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.